This is Dr. Marnie Peterson, and I am the Antimicrobial Stewardship Outreach Coordinator for a newly launched project focused on antimicrobial stewardship by the Center for Infectious Diseases Research and Policy at the University of Minnesota. A component of this project are podcasts with global experts in the field of antimicrobial stewardship and antibiotic resistance. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Ramanan Laxmanarayan about his efforts in leading a global initiative to combat antimicrobial resistance. Laxmanarayan directs the Center for Disease Dynamics, Economics, and Policy. He is also a senior research scholar and lecturer at Princeton University. His research deals with the integration of epidemiological methods and models of infectious diseases and drug resistance into the economic analysis of public health problems. He has worked tirelessly to improve the understanding of drug resistance as a problem of managing a shared global resource, that being antibiotics. Dr. Laxmanarayan has served on a number of advisory committees at the World Health Organization, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and the Institute of Medicine. He has authored over 125 manuscripts, and his work has been covered in major media outlets, including the Associated Press, the BBC, CNN, The Economist, Reuters, Science, and The Wall Street Journal. Dr. Laxman-Ryan, your career has focused on infectious diseases and antimicrobial resistance and their economic and public health implications. With this focus, you founded in 2009 the Center for Disease Dynamics, Economics, and Policy with the objective of using research to support a better decision-making process for health policy. Can you explain more about the mission of the center and your global and scientific approach of integrating the epidemiology of infectious diseases and drug resistance with economics and health policy? Thanks, Marnie. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, drug resistance or conserving the effectiveness of antibiotics is a classic problem which involves multiple disciplines and also is a truly global problem, and it's truly multi-sectoral as well. Um, first of all, I started thinking about antibiotic resistance uh, not as an epidemiologist, but really as, uh, as an economist studying natural resources. And antibiotic effectiveness is, uh, is a typical natural resource, uh, and it's also what's called a common pool resource, where different people have access to the resource, but each of them has no incentive to consider the effect of the, or their use of the resource on what the, the, the effectiveness might be for other people. So another example might be fisheries, that you know, different fishermen trying to fish in the same, um, in, in the same lake might overfish because they're not considering the fact that their overfishing is, uh, is uh, making it more difficult for other people to fish. And the center was also formed with that same objective, which was to think of disease problems which share these common property resource attributes and which would need a combination of skill sets, which included disease modeling, epidemiology, economics, and all of these would have to come together along with on-the-ground engagement uh, to really influence policy. So uh, although we're a Washington, D.C. and New Delhi-based think tank, uh, we pride ourselves on uh, really being engaged on the ground, working in policy in many countries, 
about 11 countries around the world uh, where we work very deeply as part of the Global Antibiotic Resistance Partnership, specifically on the idea of antimicrobial resistance. But we also work in areas of malaria, uh, taxation policy for health. Uh, we work on, uh, on early child development and a number of other areas which are not necessarily related to infection diseases, but which all have the same feature of being uh, multidisciplinary, uh, multi-sectoral, and at the end of the day, have uh, a profound impact on the world. And your center's uh, going to be involved in a meeting that's being held in September of 2016 this year. It's a high-level meeting of the United Nations General Assembly, which is going to be convened to discuss how countries can cooperate to preserve global access to effective antimicrobials. I'd like you just to uh, explain a little bit about the significance of this meeting and why it is so important. So um, the meeting that is being held in, uh, on September 21st at the United Nations uh, is uh, to consider how countries could cooperate in order to preserve the life-saving power of antimicrobials, but also to cooperate to make sure that access is maintained to antimicrobials. Now, this is an absolutely uh, uh, incredible opportunity to conserve the power of antibiotics. It is also only the fourth time that a health issue is reaching this particular event, which is the UN General Assembly high-level meeting, when the heads of state, the heads of state of all countries, uh, typically gather in New York for that week to discuss things that are deemed to be of global importance. The previous issues that have been discussed have been HIV/AIDS in 2001 non-communicable diseases in 2011, and uh, Ebola in a brief meeting in 2014. And this time we have an entire day that's dedicated to antimicrobial resistance. Um, so this is, uh, this is as big as it gets in terms of political attention. And it comes after years of working towards a meeting like this. Uh, it, this, this issue has now received traction in the United Kingdom, across the EU, in many developing countries, including South Africa, India, Vietnam, um, it's now uh, center stage also in the in the United States, where a presidential council has been set up uh, to deal with AMR, and also uh, you know a, a cross agency task force, and um, it's also been the sub subject of a World Health Assembly resolution and a global action plan um, that the World Health Organization has put out, but. This meeting is going to be really important because it will signal that antimicrobial resistance is not just a human health issue. It's an issue of animal health. It's an issue of environmental and ecological health. And at the end of the day, it's sort of this new uh, topic that we're now getting accustomed to. It's an issue of planetary health. And what do you think? It's, you said it took many years to kind of bring this meeting together. What were some of the uh, limitations or hesitations, do you think, around such a meeting? Why, why do you feel it took to this point for antimicrobial resistance to be recognized as a, as a planetary issue? You know, um, the issue of antimicrobial resistance actually predates even the use of antibiotics to treat patients. In fact, the first resistance to penicillin was detected two years before even the first patient was treated using penicillin, and that paper was published in 1940 uh, by Ernst Chain and colleagues. 
So antibiotic resistance has always had this very evergreen air about it, which is we've always known it's coming. It's always been increasing very slowly, but it never seemed like a crisis that one had to really take on and deal with today because there was always something else to deal with today. And, you know, this could always wait till tomorrow. And that has changed over the last 10 years. What has happened over the last 10 years is that rates of resistance, which have been going up, but have been going up very slowly, have suddenly taken off. So um, resistance to carbapenems, which is probably the last major class of antibiotics that we can use to treat gram-negative infections, has gone up from under 5 or 10% across the world only 10 years ago to over 40% in many parts of the world. This is threatening both patients in developing countries and in developed countries. It is a challenge for newborn health. It's a challenge for the elderly who want to receive um, you know, uh, the benefits of modern medicine, whether it be a hip replacement or a transplant. Uh, it is challenging uh, you know, routine surgical procedures for everyone. And in all of this, it basically is is now coming uh, to the forefront that this is not a problem that can be solved uh, just by humans alone. It really requires us to also address the fact that antibiotics are used very widely in animals. So I, I think although the topic has been a slow boil for a long time, it has taken the urgency of what has happened in the last 10 years uh, to really highlight for the world that it cannot be put off any longer and that we absolutely need to tackle this uh, with great urgency. Yes, and that leads into my next question. In lieu of the United Nations General Assembly meeting that will be occurring in September, you and your colleagues, um, also at the University of Edinburgh, New York University, and Fudan University in Shanghai, China, published very recently in August of 2016 a manuscript in science where you described what you feel are the important key elements that should be included uh, for discussion in, in the United Nations plan for to achieve global targets for combating antimicrobial resistance. I wanted to just uh, talk a little bit about that manuscript and thought describing the importance of setting a global agenda for combating the resistance of uh, the crisis of antimicrobial resistance and how it's important to 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 set this global agenda. You know, anytime we have this opportunity to bring a topic out in front of the world, you have to sort of come up with a plan as to how one proposes to, to solve the problem. It's not sufficient to just go up there and say, we have a crisis, um, you know, the building is burning down, but we have no idea how to get, uh, you know, to put out the fire. And that's why it's important to have a plan. A plan would mean having goals and targets. It would mean having a clear plan for what would be required to solve the problem in terms of resources, financial and otherwise. And it would require a governance mechanism which would make sure that, um, that individual countries and the world at large were on track to solve that problem and to reach those targets and to spend that money wisely. Now, those are the three things we call for in that science article, which is we need targets. We propose three kinds of targets which relate to use of antibiotics in humans, animals, and also drug resistance in humans. And we don't mean to have these be hard and fast targets, but we certainly want to introduce the concept of targets because in the current draft, the resolution does not actually talk about targets or goals. But we think this is extremely important. 
The second is that the world must recognize that there will be resources that are needed to solve this problem. It's not going to be as expensive as HIV, but nonetheless, it's going to cost somewhere in the order of about $5 billion a year. And we get that estimate by extrapolating what the U.S. now spends on antimicrobial resistance and, of course, adjusting for the fact that the United States is a very wealthy country. The third thing that is needed is, uh, is a coordinating mechanism, and we call for a high-level coordinating mechanism that will be under the purview of the UN Secretary General, but which would make sure that goals and targets are reached, that new goals and targets are set as needed, that countries and, uh, and UN agencies are held accountable, that they report in every year, and that this body then reports up to the UN General Assembly about what really has been going on on antimicrobial resistance. It is very important to recognize that no single UN agency or country can solve the problem. The World Health Organization is critical. The OIE, the Organization for Animal Health, is critical. The Food and Agricultural Organization are critical. All of them have an important role to play, but they all need to play together, and they need to play with civil society, with non-governmental actors, with academia, with pharmaceutical industry, the animal industry. This truly is a multi-sectoral problem, and it's not just a cliche. It really is the only way one can solve it, and that's what we call for in the science article. And one of the initial targets was that you, or the key elements that you identified, as as you described, is the fact that increasing use of antibiotics globally has become a driver for resistance and the loss of effectiveness, and you proposed a reduction in the consumption of antimicrobials by several different mechanisms. And I just wonder if you could describe a little bit about some of these pr- proposed approaches for redu- reduction. So, um, sorry. Yeah, so I think that there, there are a number of ways in which to reduce antibiotics which are being used in humans. Um, the first is to reduce the need for antibiotics that can be best accomplished through better public health, through vaccination, through better infection control, water and sanitation. All of these are important to do in and of themselves, but they take on newer importance and meaning because they can reduce the need for antibiotics and therefore the selection pressure for antibiotics. If you don't need the antibiotics, there's no selection pressure and there's no resistance. The second thing is to reduce the use of antibiotics. Uh, even in the United States, about a third of the antibiotics are used without um, without a, uh, a proper reason. Yesterday, uh, last week, uh, the U.S. CDC uh, published an estimate that said that 80% of bronchitis cases still receive antibiotics, even though the recommendations are that acute bronchitis does, does not need antibiotics. So even in the United States, we are uh, we are basically flouting a very basic principles for how antibiotics ought to be used. And this problem is is just as bad in many developing countries where either physicians are not uh, well-trained enough or they don't have the incentive to use antibiotics appropriately. And in many instances, um, antibiotics can just be bought over the counter without a prescription. So there's not even a doctor involved. It's basically the pharmacist who's telling you whether you need an antibiotic or not. Whatever it might be, I think the fundamental idea is that we have taken antibiotics for granted and we have had these drugs for only about 70 years and we risk losing them. And I really don't see what a future could be 
for modern medicine without effective antibiotics. We underlie everything we think of as modern medicine, whether transplants or surgeries, and of course, infectious diseases. So I think reducing use and reducing selection pressure can be done, and there's multiple methods to do this. Um, the Scandinavian countries show that it's possible to, to use one-third the per capita antibiotics that the U.S. does, and the average Scandinavian is not any less healthy than the average American. I think we have a lot to learn. So changing practice guidelines or, or just changing the approach to how we use antimicrobials, both within the, the health practitioner as well as the public, creating public awareness as well, uh, seems to be important for the human health sector. And it, just providing perhaps a few comments uh, related to the potential for reducing consumption in the animal sector. You've made some proposals within the manuscripts about the um, global phasing out of the use of antimicrobials in, in the growth promoters. Right. So we stand at an interesting time. Um, the use of antibiotics in animals is now twice the amount that is used in humans uh, at a global level. Uh, the country that uses the most antibiotics is China, uh, with, uh, I think, the United States in second place and a number of other countries following right behind. But the total use of antibiotics in the animal sector is projected to go up by 67% between 2010 and 2030. So if we think we've seen a pretty serious problem, we haven't seen anything yet. And phasing out the sub-therapeutic use of antibiotics, which is basically antibiotics that are mixed in with food and water, and which is given not for animal health, but really for uh, growth promotion and as a substitute for hygiene and nutrition, this really is using antibiotics as an industrial input and really should be phased out. Uh, we can make a choice. We can either uh, you know, be healthy human beings using antibiotics or we can choose to have meat that is cheaper by about you know, 2 or 3%. And I think we'd all agree that we'd be able to pay you know, a slight premium on the meat that we eat in, or in exchange for not having the massive use of antibiotics in, in animals. Um, in the United States, um, you know, a lot of people didn't realize that the animals that they eat, uh, whether chicken or hogs, were being raised on antibiotics. And once the manufacturer said, look, we're going to try to raise antibiotic-free meat, and people just thought, well, you know, I didn't even know the stuff had antibiotics in it in the first place. Um, and I think we need to push for that change throughout the world. There's a lot of education that's needed in the same way that in the 1960s, even though the evidence linking smoking to cancer was very strong, it still took another 30 years for smoking to really be recognized as something that was a serious hazard to human health. 30 years. Um, we can't afford to take 30 years to change how people see antibiotics but we have to really push for that that change in mindsets of people, social norms with respect to antibiotics, and we really need nothing less than the kind of push that happened with, with tobacco uh, in order for antibiotics not to get overused or misused. And a large part of that is how they get used in agriculture, and we call for a complete phase-out of sub-therapeutic antibiotic use in animals throughout the world within 10 years. And why 10 years? Because... Ten years was a period of time during which many U.S. manufacturers, which were doing it for the first time, were able to do it. 
So we think that this can easily be done in developing countries where uh, the new factory farming facilities are all pretty new, and if pushed, they could phase out antibiotic use in agriculture. It's almost a, a glo uh, public campaign, if you will, to create this awareness at the same time, working with the agricultural sector with the, the policy and the procedures for being able to phase the antimicrobials out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what but we I need. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a, a final question then. You you mentioned about the, the global financial resources that will be necessary to achieve these targeted goals and that they were at least approximately $5 billion annually. Can you just talk a little bit about how you feel those resources could be best utilized or deployed to achieve some of these goals, like some of the different areas of, of focus that the, the money would need to go towards? Right. I, I would think that best use of the resources at the first level would be to, to change behavior and practices with respect to antibiotics, how people think about antibiotics. That would be number one on my list. Uh, the second would be to help countries phase out use of antibiotics in agriculture. They will need financial support for this, so this would be a second way in which those resources could be used. Uh, a third way in which resources would need to be used is uh, for surveillance. Surveillance is a global public good. We need to know where resistance is emerging and where it's spreading from. And this is not super expensive, but it really needs to happen. A fourth thing that resources are needed for is for deployment of diagnostics, uh, which could play an important role in reducing inappropriate use of antibiotics. And fifth, and certainly not the least, we need to incentivize innovation into alternatives for antibiotics, including new vaccines, say for Staph aureus or maybe for gram-negative infections. Uh, we need to incentivize um, innovation on uh, ways in which resistance can be prevented, perhaps by taking, uh, uh, you know, by using complementary molecules, small molecules that um, that reduce the, the power of mutation of, uh, that's induced by, by antibiotics. There's a lot of new science to be done, and that also needs to get paid for. We need to rethink how we treat infectious diseases because fundamentally, in the long term, there is no future for depending just on antibiotics alone uh, to treat infections. We need to find alternate means and mechanisms and pathways. Vaccines are certainly one, but I think we cannot begin to imagine the alternatives that lie ahead of us uh, in a monoclonal antibodies. Lots of things that we really need to, uh, to explore to figure out how to address infectious diseases, but in a way that makes sure that, uh, that this is affordable and accessible for everyone around the world. That's excellent. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Laxman-Orion. I really wanted to thank you for your time today and in, in, in our discussion related to your global efforts and understanding antibiotic resistance as a problem and really the, um, taking the time to highlight your proposed policies, uh, policies for managing antimicrobials as this shared global resource. Uh, you've really provided a lot of insights and um, hope that the meeting goes very well and some of these targets and agendas can be set forth. So thank you very much. Well, my pleasure.